Hi, this is Michelle Lee, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Within recent months, the Atomic Energy Commission and the Department of Defense have conducted important tests of an experimental device based on the thermonuclear principle, leading to the development of a very large yield weapon. In addition, a proof test was made of a large yield fission weapon. These constituted Operation Ivy. The report of these accomplishments is about to be presented in film form. We will show you new techniques and new scientific development. We will minimize the portrayal of normal military service support since you are familiar with this aspect of test operations. Brad Robertson welcoming you back to TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. We'll shift gears this segment as we talk about the most important Hollywood film studio that you've probably never heard of. That being Lookout Mountain Laboratory. Lookout Mountain Laboratory, a U.S. government operation that was officially known as the 1352nd Photographic Group of the United States Air Force. Located in the hills of Laurel Canyon here in Hollywood, Lookout Mountain Laboratory operated from 1947 to 1969 at the nexus between the emerging military-industrial complex and the booming motion picture industry in Hollywood. Lookout Mountain Laboratory made hundreds of films, processed hundreds of thousands of feet of film, stored volumes of Cold War imagery, and served as a regular meeting spot for atomic scientists, military brass, and Hollywood professionals. If you have ever seen footage or images of a nuclear mushroom cloud, chances are that photo or footage originated from Lookout Mountain Laboratory. In the course of its 22-year history, Lookout Mountain Lab worked closely with the most innovative innovators in scientific and technical film and photography between 1947 and 1969, while also collaborating with such Hollywood luminaries as John Ford, Jimmy Stewart, Susan Hayward, and Marilyn Monroe. Joining us now are Kevin Hamilton and Ned O'Gorman. They are the co-authors of a fascinating book that reveals for the very first time the history of this largely unknown chapter in U.S. Cold War history. Ned O'Gorman is a professor in the Department of Communication at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. His other books include The Iconoclastic Imagination, Image, Catastrophe, and Economy in America, from the Kennedy assassination to September 11th. Kevin Hamilton is professor of art and design at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Kevin and Ned, welcome to our program. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, really glad to be with you today. How... Did you two learn about Lookout Mountain? Well, you know, Ed, Lookout Mountain Laboratory was something that Ned first came across in his own research. And uh, I'll leave him to tell the fuller story there in a moment, but Ned was first doing some of his own research and, and came across Lookout Mountain Laboratory as the producer of a film called Operation Ivy that we write about in the book. And uh, when Ned found about this laboratory and found the film itself, he came to me uh, as someone who also has worked on film and is interested in some of these histories of how technology shows up on screen. And he said, why don't we look at this together? And we watched that film, Operation Ivy, uh, had some really rich conversations early on about how that film might have become the way it was. And we started looking around to figure out who Look on that Laboratory was. Uh, 
But Ned, you, you came across the mention first, so I'll, I'll leave it to you to tell the story of how you first found that. Yeah, I was, as Kevin said, I was working on uh, my first book, which was on the Eisenhower administration, and came across a memo that was an internal White House memo that had described how President Eisenhower watched a film there in the White House, and when it was over, he turned to those in the room and said, every American should see this film. And that got me immediately very, very curious about what the film was. And once I was able to track down the film, as Kevin said, it was Operation Ivy, watch it a few times, I saw that it was produced by this outfit called Lookout Mountain Laboratory and that they were associated with the Air Force. And so that got me digging right away. And as Kevin said, um, I soon uh, contacted him and we started working on this together. You guys talk about Operation Ivy in detail in one of the later chapters of your book, which is called Lookout America. We'll get back to Operation Ivy in just a second. But first, most of the films produced by Lookout Mountain Laboratory remain classified, while most, if not all, of the files from the lab were never officially archived once the lab ceased operation in 19. 19- 69, how on earth did you find what you found? Well, you know, you put your finger on something there, Ed, that we really did have to reconstruct this story in this archive because the studio itself did not end up signing its name on a lot of their work. Uh, And then the records of their work were also hard to come by. In this case, one of the most important eras in starting to reveal this history was the late 90s, and under President Clinton, there began to be a declassification effort to allow irradiated workers and veterans to get access to documents that would help them go to court and get compensation for medical treatment. And at that time, uh, a little over 70 or so films from this era were released to the public for the first time, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. Ned and I uh, spent a lot of time with those first ones, and then we started looking for more. And in fact, Though most of the films made by Lookout Mountain were not made for the public, we found a surprising amount of them uh, hidden in plain sight, if you will, already available to the public. And the documents have an analogous story that Ned could probably share. Yeah, I mean, Ed, it's a really great question. We really had to approach this uh, whole project more as investigative journalists than anything else. It meant um, contacting people, contacting people that had uh, worked for Lookout Mountain. It meant uh, knowing what to look for in various catalogs of different government archives. As Kevin said, much of the stuff that Lookout Mountain did, not only in, in film and photography, but the documents they produced were not branded Lookout Mountain Laboratory. We had to know sort of how to search for these things. And so we ended up compiling and really building an archive from a whole slew of sources that ranged from official government archives to the personal collections of of folks that had worked there at Lookout Mountain. Were they hard to come by because they were dealing with nuclear technology and atomic test sites and, you know, test missiles and things like that? Certainly the fact that many of this material was classified made it hard to track it down. But in many ways, one of the challenges in tracking down these documents was just that it seems that the Air Force studio really didn't want to leave uh, that big of a record here. They needed to get the work done. They needed to produce for their clients. In the same way that maybe even today, I I wonder how many commercial studios 
are really documenting that much about what they do and how they do what they do. Uh, in the context of nuclear weapons, of course, where you've got the fate of the world in the balance, when an outfit doesn't document itself, that raises other kinds of interesting questions here. But the, the story of why people have not heard about this studio is a really complex one that's only partially accountable for, uh, by the secrecy of nuclear weapons. On the line with us are Kevin Hamilton and Ned O'Gorman. Ned and Kevin are the co-authors of Look Out America, the secret Hollywood studio at the heart of the Cold War, the first thorough history of the most famous motion picture studio that you may not have heard of before, but which played a major role in how baby boomers and their families viewed the Cold War and the immense effects that continues to have on our political culture today. The University of Richmond describes Lookout America, the book, as a rollicking story populated by an unlikely mix of Hollywood artists, nuclear scientists, and military movers and shakers, not to mention a feat of innovative design in its lovingly crafted layout and image curation. Look at America, the book includes hundreds of breathtaking photographs, plus easy-to-follow charts, graphs, timelines, sidebars, and screen grabs. Look out America, the secret Hollywood studio at the heart of the Cold War, is available at Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. For more information about Look Out America, the book, and Look Out Mountain uh, Laboratory, go to lookoutamerica.org, lookoutamerica.org. Org. Many of the films produced by Lookout Mountain Laboratory are available for people to view at lookatamerica.org, given that virtually all of them were classified at the time and were dealing with classified secrets at the time. Was it difficult to obtain clearance to post the videos on the website? That, that's actually something we really didn't have to deal with because uh, everything that is is available on our website is stuff that has gone through some sort of declassification process. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we really didn't have to deal with that kind of getting clearance um, issues. And as Kevin was saying, I mean, this is a big part of what was happening in the 1990s within the Department of Energy is they were systematically going through a bunch of old nuclear Cold War materials, both documents and films and photographs. and and releasing them to the public. Once they're out in the public, they're public domain, so anybody can look at them, use them, write about them. Why did Lookout Mountain make movies? Well, Lookout Mountain uh, began to make movies because after World War II, when what was a nuclear weapons development program grew to become a routinized nuclear testing program, it was clear that photography was needed to actually study these tests and see how they were working. And at the time, uh, the nuclear tests were still happening in secret, and the Air Force and the Atomic Energy Commission needed some professionals to document these tests in motion picture and still photography uh, within the bounds of secrecy, right? They needed a one-stop shop they could go to for expert documentation of these really rare photographic events. And so Lookout Mountain started uh, in Los Angeles in relative proximity to the Pacific testing grounds, uh, and it became a one-stop shop for uh, shooting film, developing film, storing film, editing, and then uh, beginning to produce the elaborate productions that uh, we end up writing about. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the other thing that we talk about in the book is that um, though they were charged with or tasked with documentation from the get-go, they quickly um, started making very dramatic and very sort of narratively oriented stories on film about 
the history of nuclear weapons and about the nuclear weapons program and and it's curious there's there's music there's often off-screen uh, narrators sometimes there's an on-screen actor there's a plot etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's curious and and you know one of the ways we try to explain that is that even though these were secret films nuclear weapons testing in the 1950s was widely understood in the United States government as being very risky, very dangerous, for all kinds of reasons, both just the, the weapons themselves and the kind of harm they could do to the people that work with them and around them, but also the risk of nuclear war. And so uh, Lookout Mountain, part of what it did is it, it sort of engaged in what we call a form of cinematic self-talk. They're mm-hmm. trying to talk themselves into keeping on with this work. Uh, despite all the risks and dangers. And we think a lot of the kind of dramatic narrative elements of their films are tied to the ways in which government officials themselves are trying to convince themselves to do this kind of work. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I'm just thinking aloud here, but early in our conversation, you both brought up the film Operation Ivy, Operation Ivy, which had to do with one of the first atomic devices. And I don't remember whether it was Ned or Kevin who mentioned that uh, when President Eisenhower saw the film, he thought it was important enough that the general public should see, not just military officials. And I'm thinking aloud here, but it seems to me that even though these were quote-unquote military films, quote-unquote industrial films, they were made cinematically, they were made using storytelling devices. Obviously, they evoked enough of a reaction from its select audience, in particular President Eisenhower, for him to make the decision, make this available to the public. Uh, you're absolutely right there, Ed. And, you know, Operation Ivy, as a document of America's first thermonuclear test, was notable in that it was the first time they had an on-screen narrator for the film. And that on-screen narrator is probably more known to your listeners than many of our readers, uh, since your listeners are such followers of TV history. Uh, Reed Hadley from TV's Racket Squad, Mm -hmm. among other things, was the the person to do the on-screen narration there. And if you've taken a look at that film, which you can do on our website, lookoutamerica.org, you can see this television actor uh, trying to walk people through the process of this historic event in a very casual and also scripted way. Yeah, and I think that Lookout Mountain understood that what they were filming at Operation Ivy, the test, was world history. I mean, this was a monumental event in world history. And I think that they understood from the very beginning that the story that they were going to tell about this test on film needed um, to be presented in such a way is that the the truly dramatic nature of what was happening was brought home to audiences. And and we have records that show that from the, the day they began working on this film, they wanted it to go public. They were thinking about a public audience as well. And so it's it's not an accident, perhaps, that when Eisenhower saw it, when it was still very much a classified film, that he immediately thought of a public audience because in so many ways the film was styled as something that you might see in Hollywood at the time, and it looked like a film for the people. On the line with us are Kevin Hamilton and Ned O'Gorman. Ned and Kevin are the co-authors of Lookout, 
America, the secret Hollywood studio at the heart of the Cold War, the very first book to reveal the entire story of Lookout Mountain Laboratory, a top-secret military film studio that documented everything from atomic tests to Vietnam bombing missions. Though few people outside the government knew about it at the time, Lookout Mountain Laboratory was the most important film studio in U.S. Cold War history. Lookout America, the book is loaded with information, but it reads very, very quickly. It's also filled with charts, graphs, timelines, sidebars, screen grabs, and hundreds and hundreds of breathtaking photographs. If you like military history, film history, pop culture history, pick up a copy of Lookout America, the secret Hollywood studio at the heart of the Cold War, which is available in bookstores everywhere. You can also find it at Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. If you want to screen uh, some of the films produced by Lookout Mountain Laboratory or to learn more about the book or to learn more about Kevin and Ned, go to LookoutAmerica.org, LookoutAmerica.org. Before we leave the topic of Operation Ivy. One of the interesting things I found about in that chapter is not so much the public reaction, but the critical reaction. I'm particularly talking about the New York Times review. I mean, look at America just to fill in the gap at the urging of Eisenhower folks. Look at America was made available in movie theaters and it was broadcast on national television to reach as many people as possible. And as is always the case, an advance print of the film was made available to newspaper reviewers, including Jack Gould, a name that we've talked about many times in our program. He was arguably the most influential television critic at the time. And his reaction to the film, in a way, it sort of reflects the reaction of a lot of the Lookout Mountain films, Ned and Kevin, in that it was a mixed reaction I don't think he used the term over the top, but that was basically where he was, what he was saying. It was a little too stylized. But at the same time, he understood that the film served a very important purpose in distilling complicated information in an accessible way, and his review reflected that. Yeah, and I think what's really important to think about with respect to what Lookout Mountain had hoped for for the film was that they really had hoped when they made that film that they were, I mean, quite literally going to be introducing Americans and the world to the thermonuclear age. They expected that when that film was going to be released to the public, that nobody would know, have known about thermonuclear weapons, at least in the general public. And so they very much scripted it and sort of dramatized it as an introduction to this new era in world history. By the time that Gold wrote his, his review in, in the New York Times, uh, the cat was out of the bag. There was news all over the world about these, these thermonuclear weapons. The Atomic Energy Commission in particular just put up barrier after barrier to Lookout Mountain and the Air Force releasing this film to the general public. And so it took 18 months from the time that the first version of the film was made to when the general public saw it. And by then, the world knew about thermonuclear weapons. And so this kind of dramatic feel to the film, it's, it's, it's sort of anticlimactic by that point. But as you said, Ed, the film still presented some really interesting charts and graphs, including maps of Washington, D.C. and New York City that shows the kind of destruction a thermonuclear bomb would do to these cities. As Ned mentioned, the cat was out of the bag as well through still photography. And one of the things that's really notable about Operation Ivy and the photographs and films that came from it 
was that the size of the test also began to produce images that were invoking great fear. Uh, and tests previous certainly were provoking awe. That was part of the rhetoric even of the, of the films made before thermonuclear technology was on the scene. But at that point, those images themselves of destruction were beginning to promote enough fear that it began to be, as we note in the book, uh, quite a controversial matter about what should even be made public about the images themselves. And so really Operation Ivy ushers in a new era for Lookout Mountain. They began to have to operate with a different amount of secrecy and control uh, about their images. The book being Lookout Mountain, Lookout Mountain, the secret Hollywood studio at the heart of the Cold War. We'll continue our conversation with Kevin and Ned after this quick time out here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.